Well, today we're going to continue in our prepping series. If this is your, if you're a guest, maybe you're here for Father's Day, we've been going through a series on what does it mean for Christians to be ready as time, when, when time starts really being noticeable that we are in the, the last days, so to speak. Tra- technically, we've been in the last days since Jesus ascended. Right, I mean that we were always moving toward that, and and so, but, but we know that there are signs of how that's going to end. And I'm going to talk to you today about signs of the end. Um, this is probably uh, in in our prepping series. I'm just calling it signs of the end. This is probably as close as you're going to see me get to anything prophecy related, right? Because prophecy tends to be a long study, and so if you got a Bible, turn to uh, Mark chapter 13. We're talking about signs of the end today. In Mark chapter 13, I just want you to hear the word of the Lord. It's kind of toward the end of your Bibles. It's in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll find it. If you're on a tablet, I'm using the New American Standard. And I want to read it to you first. Now, we're going to, there's nowhere to really stop this thing, okay? So, uh, we're going to read a lot of it. So, here we go. It says, as Jesus was going out of the temple, verse 1, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, what wonderful stones, look at what, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. And Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives. In fact, if you, by the way, this is often called the Olivet Discourse. And he was sitting opposite the temple, temple, and Peter and James and John and Andrew, they were questioning him privately. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all of these things are going to be fulfilled, right? So by the way, your human curiosity is nothing new. They, they had it too, right? And Jesus began to say to them in verse 5, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, meaning I'm the Christ, and well, he will mislead many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, and that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pains, like a woman starting starting to give labor, but not yet. Verse 9, but be on your guard, for they will deliver you to the courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached to all nations. And when they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say. But say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and father betray his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end, they will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. By the way, I meant to say to you on the very front end, um, 
most theologians call this entire chapter a theological minefield. Um, and so I would, I would uh, uh, make sure before I forget to say it, the Bible is inerrant, but there are no such thing as inerrant interpreters. All right? So just keep that in your head because this, this, some, some of you are going, abomination of desolation, what is that? Well, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Verse 15. The one who is on the housetop, Jesus said, must not go down but go into, or go in to get anything out of his house. And the one who is in the field must not turn back to get his coat. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Pray that it may not happen in the winter. For those days will be a time of tribulation such has not occurred since the beginning of creation, which God created until now and never will. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, behold, here is Christ. Behold, he's there. Don't believe him. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and they will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But take heed. I have told you everything in advance. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will stand, and he, or he will send forth the angels and he will gather together his elect from the four winds and from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branches become tender, it puts forth its leaves. In other words, it, it buds out. You know the summer's near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near, right at the door. And truly, I say to you, verse 30, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. So take heed, keep on the alert, for you will not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey who, upon leaving his house, he put his slaves in charge and he assigned each one a task and he commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. So... This is a theological minefield. It is a place where there's a lot of things happening right there. And, and he, but here's the bigger question that I, I have when I look at a passage like this. Why in the world would Jesus tell us these things? Well, what's his goal, right? Well, I tell you, I, I think he kind of reveals his goal in verse 23. He says, take heed. I've told you everything in advance. I think that's the goal here. The, the, the goal is... That, he, that we, are, we know, we have somewhat of an understanding of what's going to happen and, and how to interpret times when it does start to happen. Now, I will tell you, when it comes to the study of the end, or you may hear that in Christian literature referred to as eschatology, the study of the end. When, when you start studying those things, many people have turned that into a scholarly work. In fact, a lot of people have made entire careers out of that and books that has fill, have filled up, you know, you could probably fill up a, three times this room with the number of books 
written just on these topics. But I would say to you what I say to you all the time. Remember that the goal of theology is not to make you Bible smart. The goal of theology is not to make you Bible smart. The goal of theology is not to put you at an advantage over, over somebody else. The, the goal of, of theology isn't just so that you can have more knowledge. The goal of theology is that you would know the heart of God. And then by knowing the heart of God, actually do the will of God. The goal of theology is that not that you become puffed up. In fact, even Paul says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, right? We know what happens to people who become theologically arrogant. We have Bible words for those people, right? Pharisees, Sadducees. We have words for those people. Jesus, if you look at what Jesus had to say about arrogant theologians, it wasn't kind. So, so what, what is God's goal here? What is Jesus trying to do? He's trying to help us follow trying to help us follow. I love um, looking at things like this. It's, it's difficult. You, like I said, this is a lot of times small group material or long discourse material. I could probably spend a couple of years in Revelation if I wanted to, right? And, and, and it is a minefield because it can go a lot of different ways. And so it, it reminds me of something, um, a very, very known uh, preacher still alive uh, and well alive here in America is a guy named Alistair Begg. And Alistair Begg said something that I've always appreciated. He said this. He said, he tells his congregation all the time, the main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things. And boy, I think that's a great word when you look at the scriptures because a lot of people have taken the end of time and and they will get super specific and and get very numerical and 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 I'm not I'm not warning you against that I'm saying make sure that you know the plain things are the main things and the main things are the plain things and so what can we look at when we look at Mark chapter 13 and know for sure there are some plain things I'm, I'm fully convinced Jesus was simply trying to help us understand. I'm warning you in advance. Aren't you glad? I'm glad that I, I'm not, you know, that we don't have to hit the panic button, right? I mean, if you see something really strange happen or you hear the trumpet call of God, you know, you don't have to panic. Oh, yeah, he told me this would happen. If you hear, if somebody today rose up and said on national television, I'm the Christ, Oh, Jesus told me that one was coming, right? See, you got a sovereign God looking out for you. So what are some of the plain things? Well, let's, talk, let's kind of break that down. Number one, I would say here's a plain thing. God warns me here that there are or there will be deceptive leaders. There, there will be deceptive leaders. Look in verse 6. Many, many will come in my name and they'll say, I am he. He says it again in verse 21, and if, then, if anyone says to you, behold, oh, there's Christ, or, or he's there, don't believe him, for false Christ and false prophets will arise, and there'll be signs and wonders. In fact, you can read Revelation, you can, you can, read, all, you can read about the, the Antichrist, you know, and, and I, there's even people all the time, you can, man, you can get podcast after podcast or article after article that talk about how, you know, the, the, the lawless one, the Antichrist has already been born, and, and you don't know that. You just don't. I would say, I would encourage you, stay away from incredible specifics like that. Because you can really get yourself wound up. I mean, let's just face it, friends. Do you, you ever just Google how many people have predicted the end of time? 
right? You know, down to the date, right? You know, Jehovah's Witnesses have done it a lot, you know, over the years. I'm not picking on people. I'm just saying, it's truth. Don't do that. We, so, but we are warned that, that there, is going to be, there are going to be deceptive leaders. Now, 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 Jesus said in verse 14, he says, When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, right? Then, then understand that those in Judea will flee. Many people have, have tried to turn connect that verse to the antichrist and i guess you you can in some ways second thessalonians says it this way right second thessalonians says the apostasy comes first and then the man of lawlessness the antichrist will be revealed and he will be revealed and the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself over every so-called god or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So you can, you can connect it to that verse. Many, many historians think that, that really this is a, a reference to the temple being destro- destroyed in, in roughly A.D. 70. When, when the, for the second time, the temple in Jerusalem was, was, was just completely desecrated and, and all kinds of things Roman, the, some of the Roman soldiers did. And, and so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of movement here, but here's where there isn't any movement. We know for a fact there will be false leaders. There will be people that will come, even in Jesus' name. There will be deceptive leaders, so be on the watch for that. Here's the second main thing that's a plain thing. God warns me that there will be chaos and unrest. Look in verse 8. If you look at it closely, it tells you some things. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places. All Californians be, be scared today. And there will be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Just the beginning, not, not the end, right? Not the end. So there will be chaos and there will be unrest. But, but he kind of breaks it down for you a little bit right there. Look at, look at kind of what he says in verse 8. There will be nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and then there's even going to be creation unrest. So I kind of wrote this down just so you kind of know. Here's some, some ways to know, right? Number one, uh, there's going to be civil unrest, nation against nation. Boy, you see that already, right? I mean, you, you could point to that already, nation against nation. You can see all kinds of wars and continual rumors of wars, there's constantly conflict around this world. They, those are birth pangs, so to speak. But then there's worldview unrest, and that, that's just my word. Jesus used kingdom versus kingdom. You see worldview unrest, and you even see that. Man, I would say right now, at least for like this moment in time, worldview unrest, kingdom versus kingdom, may be way more hostile than nation versus nation think think about think about what's happening right now friends when it comes to kingdom versus kingdom how many how many ideologies do you see competing boy i was talking to somebody even this week i was like man you've got to hand it you've got to hand it to the antichrist agenda but that is the tearing down of all things biblical, from LGBTQ to, to anything, uh, gender fluidity, to anything between 
what it might mean with, with, with social justice and defining social justice and race and all. You got to hand it to those that are incredibly aggressive. They are evangelizing people. They are. And, and you got to know that's what it's after. And, it's, and, and so you got to hand it to how they're playing for keeps out there. And I have two boys, and I can tell you, the kingdom of darkness is coming for the minds of my sons. Hard. All the time. Unrelentless. I mean, or just relentless pressure all the time. I mean, if you think about, I think, I think we're in an era right now if you read Romans chapter 1, I think if you, not that we're going to, but I would encourage you to go read Romans chapter 1 because in Romans chapter 1, you see, you see uh, almost, I would almost look at it as a funnel. You see what happens when a nation or a people say to God, I am going to self-rule. Because when you begin to say, I'm going to self-rule, what you get is the taking of all, God basically says, okay, you, you want to live in chaos, then I will let you. And chaos is what you'll get. And so if you read Romans 1, there's a natural progression. God takes his hand off of that nation or off of that people. And, and when he takes his hand off of that people, it says they begin to exchange the truth of God for a lie. They will exchange the things that were once known as, as truthful and then they will say, no, no, that's not that way. I mean, who, you know, think about America, friends. Like, America has heralded itself. We have heralded our country for decades and decades and decades and decades and decades. We put such a premium on, on education. We put such a premium on, on college education. We put such a, a premium on scientific education and the higher ascent of, of the mind. And, and who would have thought that, that even, even things such as homosexuality now are just considered the norm? Now we're so far into your anatomy. It doesn't mean anything. It can, in fact, it means whatever you want it to mean. What you are, the anatomy you're born with has no bearing on the human soul and, and you can choose it is chaos and I'm not picking on anybody that has the same sex attracted I'm, I'm saying it is that's what happens you see the progression it, it used to be that that something is as is, is, is shocking as as bestiality would be like oh that's shocking oh no no now we're down into identifying however you want to I mean you see how the, the spiral down the funnel the spiral down the funnel when when God takes his hand, if you want to self-rule, you can't. See, we're in a kingdom versus kingdom unrest. And, and so, now, fast forward that to what you experience today. If you speak out against anything that, that is race-related, but yet it's an agenda behind color. For instance, I'm going to share one with you. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Oh, they do matter. But not according to that flag. Because if you read... The people that started Black Lives Matter, what you will find, I watched the interviews. Direct quote, we are trained Marxist organizers who want to tear down the American family ideology. I read it with my own eyes. I took it off their website. That is the root system. Oh, Black Lives Matter. Race is a sin. Racism is a sin. Hands down. And the church has not done a good job. I'm going to tell you, in my career time, we have not done a great job of talking about race issues. 
And racism does matter, but not according to that brand. That is an ideology that's competing for something way different than just color. They're coming after the institution of who gets to lead the family. See, that, that, that's an ideology at play. And it is my job to, to warn you to have the filters to see things the way they are. Kingdom versus, we are in a kingdom versus kingdom assault on what is true and what is simple. The main things are the plain things. And what I would say to you, friends, is what it breeds is lawlessness. And that is the spirit of the antichrist. Lawlessness is the end result of the antichrist. And that's where we're headed and that's where we're going to continue to head. Watch for the kingdom versus kingdom. We are now in a day where if you speak out against kingdom versus kingdom and against the untruths of society, oh, now you're canceled. You're not allowed to say those things. We are up against very real spiritual principalities. And I am here to tell you, Christian friend, if you're going to speak for truth in your corporations, if you're going to speak for truth in the boardroom, if you're going to speak for truth client to client, if you're going to speak for truth in the classroom, you are, if you are going to stand for the principles of the Lord your God, you need to prepare to lose your job at some point. Prepare to lose your job. But I would just say to you, I've said it to you many times and I'm going to keep saying it. Just remember, if you are a school teacher, you are not going to stand in front of the superintendent on the day you die. If you're an executive, you're not going to stand against the shareholders on judgment day. You're not. You're not. And you should not be afraid. Why? Well, for this reason. The third one is that God warns me that Christians are going to suffer. And Americans hate this verse. Americans hate passages like this. Christians will suffer. We are going to suffer. Look in verse 9. Mark 13, verse 9, but be on your guard, for they will, not if, they will, not might, but they will deliver you to the courts. And you will be flogged. That's not verbal assault, friends. That is beaten. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake and here's the qualifier as a testimony as a testimony Jesus is warning you and I would say to you in the Christian church <laughs> be, be really careful be really careful that you do not define suffering be, be careful, let me see how I'm trying to get what's in my head out my mouth. Um, it's a, a weekly struggle with me. Um, what I would say to you is be very careful that you do not let your definition of suffering be God's definition of suffering. Because Americans, we, we interpret anything bad as from the devil. 
Read your Old Testament. God has even used enemies of Israel to punish Israel. We, we can't fathom that. Americans just can't fathom it. We can't fathom it. Israel couldn't fathom it either. Wait, you mean you're going to use the Babylonians? Yep, sure am. And then when that's all done, I'm going to get them too. That's what he did because he's sovereign over it. He's sovereign over it all. I would just say to you, when you define suffering, make sure you use biblical definitions, not American ones. I'm going to say that again to you. Make sure you use biblical definitions, not American ones. Because we use American idealism. And you can't help yourself. I mean, look, you are an American. My, my goodness, I, I'm not just an American. I'm a Southerner, right? We have our own Bible, pretty much. I mean, they keep, you know, they, they got this new Hawaiian version. I'm like, I need to come out with a Southern one, right? There would be no G everywhere. And we, we take all Gs out of the alphabet, right? Every fixing, going, coming, seeing, doing, you know, all that. That's what I tell people that move in from the South. Just drop your Gs. You'll fit in great, right? And preface everything by big old. And that's a big old truck, you know? And just preface everything by that, you know? Um, but I had, I had some folks from California one time said, hey, they were so serious. This is honest truth. They came up to me and said, hey, you know that thing you said about taking the G's off your words? We started doing that and it works. <laughs> and I'm like, I was just joking. I, I didn't, you know, I had to do it, you know? Like, oh, but it really does. You know? So I would say to you, we're gonna suffer in fact, it, it's a repetitive theme if you haven't picked up on it. It's a theme in the writings of Paul. It's a theme in the writings of Peter. It's a theme in Revelation. It's a theme in Jesus' life. Friends, how many times in the New Testament are we told to endure? We would never be told to endure if there wasn't going to be something we would have to endure. You follow? The very fact that we're told to endure means we're going to need to endure because something that we're going to have to endure is coming. We're, we're going to pay a price for our faith. And I, I'm just being very candid with you. I, I, don't, I really don't think Christians believe that we will. But we will. Mark 13.9 gives you the reason for that. Be on your guard, for they will deliver you to the courts, and they will flog you. They will beat you in the synagogues, and they will you will stand before governors and kings for my name's sake. See, there is the reason. The reason for Christian suffering is that you would bring glory to God. That in that moment, that you stand and you play the role of the steadfast. And that may not always mean that you are beaten. It could mean that you are fired. You are called in that moment. And I don't think these are always gonna be, I mean, it will be you know, very formal at times, just like that's gonna be very civic, you know, governors and, and juries. But I'm gonna tell you, it counts, listen to me really closely, it counts just as much with God behind closed doors when you're face-to-face -face with the CEO or you're face-to-face -face with the HR director and they say, you have to honor somebody's pronouns. And you're like, no, I don't. I don't. 
You, or you have, you have to not only say that we are an equal opportunity employer, but you have to actually believe and endorse the role. No, I don't. I am all for equality in the, in the workplace, but you cannot force me into an ideology. You can't. Well, you can, but we're going to find out who the Christians are over time. The, these type of kingdom versus kingdom ascents, these type of, these type of things are, are the majority of our day, and they're not going away. They're not going away. And our, our role is really hard as a Christian right now because how, how can we stand as loving people, which we are called to love, but we are called to love according to, wait for it, a biblical definition of it. You see, pop culture, listen to me, Christian friend, pop culture never gets the right to define biblical standards for you. You hear me? Pop culture never gets the right to define biblical standards, ever. I am going to stand before a holy God one day. Jesus said, do not be afraid of those that can kill the body. Be afraid of the one that can send the soul to hell. That's where my awe and reverence lies. And you will be called mean if you don't agree. You'll be called mean and bigoted and even uneducated. You can and you might and you probably will. But the goal is that we testify to the Lord and his principles for life. And if you think I'm just talking today about all that we see with human sexuality, I'm not. I'm talking about anything. Anything from greed to injustice to racism. Listen, man, on that topic alone, there's a lot of people in Southern Baptist churches that do not believe in interracial marriage. And you're, you're, I'm not backing up on that. There's nothing in that book that says that, that, that I tell my boys all the time, I don't care if the girl you fall in love with is purple. I want to know that she loved Jesus. And is she going to love Jesus more than she loves you? That's what I want to know. And I'm going to stand on that. And let me tell you, there's a lot of people. I've got people in my family that won't talk to me about this. Well, then just don't talk to me about it. I'm telling you, you're going to have to unhitch what you were taught when you were little, line everything up with the Word of God, friends. Everything, even the painful parts. We are called to be loving. We are called to be truthful. We are called to be all things to all people until we can't. Those are going to be days of penalty, but our goal is to testify. But I'm going to give you some hope. I mean, this is not the best Father's Day sermon right we're talking about prepping and I would say to all of you fathers all of you men father or not I believe the greatest thing the American church needs today are men men with spines of steel and tender hearts that have no backup in them whatsoever listen having a tender heart and a spine of steel is not an enemy of one another 
My daddy's hands brought the pain. My daddy's hands brought protection. And my daddy's hands held me gently. I'm telling you, it can be done. We need men. And we're going to need that as we travel into this journey. Passivity is not something we're called to, fellas. We're called to be men of God in the quiet moments and in the loud ones. So here's the hope. The hope is that God will intervene on behalf of his people. That's the plain thing and the main thing of this passage. The plain things and the main things of this passage is that God will intervene. There are going to be deceptive leaders. There there is going to be chaos and there's going to be unrest. There's going to be suffering. But God will intervene. He will intervene. Look in verse 20. Jesus said, unless the Lord has shortened those days, unless, that means he is, if he hadn't, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, that's you, whom he chose, he shortened the days. What you hear in the sun becoming, the sun going dark and the moon turning to blood and all of that, what you hear is there is going to be this climactic, I mean, this massively climactic interruption or intervention in human history. And God's going to do it. So that's our Christian hope. That's a fact. It doesn't matter if people believe it or not. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter if people believe that Jesus is going to return one day. I'm just here to tell you, the eastern sky, which is roughly that way, is going to split one day. It is. And it doesn't matter. I don't need, I, I don't need the world to validate that truth. Jesus told me that. And I can look for that. Now, there's pretty much three views of this. I'm going to help you out a little bit this morning. Okay, there's kind of three views, and here they are. Of when, when's this going to happen? Because that's how the passage starts. With, with, um, it says Peter, James, and John, and Andrew are going, hey, when are you going to do all that? Right? They were the first bloggers. This is when I think it's going to happen, so to speak. Well, there's pretty much three. There's a pre-tribulation, meaning that there's Christians that believe that we're going to be saved from every bit of that. There's post-tribulation, meaning that we're going to go through a lot of that. Then, then it's going to happen. Then there's pre-wrath, or some, some have said it this way. There's, there's pre, pre-trib, there's post-trib, and there's pan-trib. And so it's all going to pan out in the end, right? I, I, I kind of ascribed to the third, right? And, and I, I, want to, I want to be really clear. Okay, you, you can be right in any three of these. This, it, that's not heresy. Heresy saying we're not, we're not ever going to see it at all. That's heresy. You, you can, there's great theologians that have come down on different sides. And so I'm going to show you really quickly. Look at, here's a little, little I wrote this out in, with a mouse. So it, it looks like it, right? But so you've got a seven-year tribulation that you find in, in Revelation. And that's going to happen. You've got bowl judgment, seal judgments, all that kind of stuff. You can read that on your own. And there, so people that there are, there's a large camp of Christians that believe that, that Christians over time, that many theologians have come down on the side of, you know, the, 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 the rapture is going to happen. And if you're not familiar with what a rapture is, that that is that God is going to remove Christians from the earth before any of that suffering takes place. And then there's going to be a seven year, a lot of bad stuff. It's a big theological phrase. A lot of bad stuff. Okay. You don't want to be around for that if you can help it. Okay. Then there's those that look at post. Here's, look at the next one, right? That, that, that we're going to go through all seven years of that, 
Then God's going to take the church out, and then there's going to be a second coming. You do realize that, that there is a difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. Those are two different historical events, right? I, I will just tell you, you know, I, I do not exactly know how this is going to take place. I, I think I would be crazy to say I did. There are three views. Here are the three views, right? There's a Christians aren't going to go through any of it. They're going to go through all of it. Or there's the pre-wrath view. And as, over time, I've probably subscribed to more of the pre-wrath view, that we are going to be saved from some of it. I just can't tell you all of it. I, I, I think I, I haven't seen a single verse in scripture and, and by the way if you found one I'm serious tell me I'm, 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 I've told you at the very beginning of this thing there's no the Bible is in the word of God is inerrant there's no such thing as an inerrant interpreter if you found places where we're going to be saved from all of it I haven't seen a verse that says we're going to be saved from all of it because we're told too often to be to endure 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 you're going to have to endure. You will suffer. You will be beaten. I don't know how that plays out in the end. But I do know that we will go through it. Jesus said, no servant is greater than his master. We're going to go through some portion of it. But the plain things are the main things. And so what's the plain thing? Here's the plain thing. Jesus said, I'm warning you of this now. Why? So you won't be deceived, right? When you look at the story, so you won't be deceived. But you know what this also tells us? This whole, this whole chapter, all 30-something-odd verses of it, this whole chapter tells us something, that even in the chaos, history is moving somewhere. God is over history. What looks chaotic to you isn't chaotic to him at all. Do you see? See, when I said be very careful that you don't define suffering and, and, and put your definition on top of the Bible, because this sounds very chaotic. Moon turns, well, I saw a sunset one time in Charleston, South Carolina, when mom and dad were, dad was the golf pro there at Charleston Air Force Base, and there was the harvest moon that came up. Man, I was about to move off to Fort Worth, and I saw this moon come up over the Atlantic Ocean, and it started somewhere in Uzbekistan, and it ended somewhere in Savannah. You know, I mean, it was the largest thing I'd ever seen, and the whole thing was bright red. And I went, wait, hold. Everybody was like, oh, get out your picture. I'm like, well, y'all may want to get on your knees before we get, I don't know, before we're taking snaps, you know, this sucker. I mean, it was blood red, man. I was like, whoa. Is that what's, you know? Didn't know. But the, the, whole, the whole thing is that creation's moving somewhere. See, I think... Jesus gives us these words and he gives us revelation. You know how when you're in a plane, you've all flown, most of you have, and you've all flown, and what do they say? They come on and they say, we're going to prepare for our initial descent. You can start to feel the plane going down, right? But you notice the airline attendants, they, ah, whatever. You know, they're still doing their thing, checking to see if, you know, I've flown seven million times. They're still looking if I got my seatbelt on, you know. Okay. You know, put your trays in the upright position, right? But then there's coming, that plane keeps going, keeps going, you can feel it, keeps going, keeps going, keeps going, and it takes sometimes 15, 20 minutes on the initial descent. But then you know, you can watch the airline attendants. When they start sitting down, you better go ahead and get ready. 
that plane is starting to really descend. Then you hear the flaps come down. You hear the landing gear. Michelle hates to fly, right? Every time I get ready for the boom, landing gear, you know, and it's, you know, you know, one of those things. It's just how it is, right? Everything starts, since Jesus ascended, the plane has been descending. But we're told, it's really interesting. I walked in this morning and I saw on the screen 1 Thessalonians 4. I went, oh my goodness. We're going to read 1 Thessalonians 4 today because this is what I thought of in my study time this week. Look at what Paul said to the church at Thessalonica. They were scared. And he said, no, 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 look, I don't want you to be ignorant. That's how he starts this off. Then he says, then we who are alive and remain, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Who's them? All the Christians that came before us to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And so comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. God gives purpose to life and he gives purpose to our suffering. He gives purpose to how he's gonna play out the end. And so I would bring you back this passage to me just my own opinion, this passage has bookends. On the front end of the passage, Jesus says, be ready. And the very last thing Jesus says is be ready. And in the middle, he says, be ready. We need to be ready. This is not a terrible day for us. It is a a great day of anticipation. But before it gets wonderful, it will get worse. And we are to be ready. But we are to remember that there is coming a time when Jesus is going to split the sky. And he is going to take his people. And we will always be with the Lord. You know, it means a lot to us that you would come here today and be a part of who we are. It really does matter to us more than you might realize. Sometimes I think we underestimate the power we have to influence people. You know, if you would look around your world, you'd be amazed at how many people would receive what you have to say to them. You could be a digital missionary. You don't have to post everything on Facebook or we're not asking you to go on your favorite social platform, but I would challenge you to look around your world I guarantee you might have a friend, even in a different state or another part of the world, something was said today, whether a sermon, a prayer, a song, something was said that could mean a lot to them, man, send it to them. You'd be amazed at how much of a difference that could make.